She was this gun-toting, whiskey-drinking broad. The super epic fucking broad. She was a pioneer in the industry. She's also so famous and so controversial. So controversial. So she's kind of a big fucking deal. Her story is so incredible. She belongs on this podcast because she's a broad you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm your host, Sarah Gorski, and regular weekly listeners, I appreciate you bearing with me the last couple weeks. I have been in the middle of big life things like moving, so I had to pause our fascinating series on witches for a couple weeks and replay a couple classic episodes for you while I was pulling all my shit together with a move, but now I am in my new place, and if you're watching on YouTube, you can see... It's not quite all together. Pictures aren't hung on the wall. Frida's behind me. Um, And I'm sure that there's some technical issues with sound uh, and all that, which I will be sorting out in the next few weeks. So today is just the best I can do. And hopefully you can just love me for that. Um, But anyway, I am finally together enough to be back with a new broad for you today. But I am not covering a witch. You're going to have to wait one more week to get back to the witch series because... It is Thanksgiving week in America, and I have been wanting to cover this incredible Thanksgiving flavor broad for years now, and I cannot wait any longer. So today we are finally going to talk about Anna Kaona. Now, you might be wondering what I mean when I say a Thanksgiving flavored broad. You might think, did she invent gravy or canned cranberries or something else that forever transformed our Turkey Day festivities? The answer is no. This is not going to be that kind of an episode. For our international listeners who may not be familiar with the Thanksgiving holiday or Turkey Day, as I lovingly call it, the origin of Thanksgiving dates back to when the first colonizers from England arrived at Plymouth Rock in modern-day Massachusetts in the blustery northeastern part of the country in 1621. Well, technically, they arrived December 18th, 1620. They literally arrive in the middle of winter, Like, absolutely terrible planning. You can't do anything in the winter when the ground is frozen. You can't build, you can't dig in the ground, it's frozen. You can't dry wood. It's a huge pain in the ass, the winter. And they, these pilgrims, suffered for it. They didn't have very much food. It was freezing. There was disease and starvation was rampant. And even though... About 102 of them set out on the voyage from England on the ship. Only about 53 of them end up surviving through that first winter. And they survived thanks in large part to the Wampanoag tribe that lived there. They helped to feed and care for these idiotic pilgrims who traveled to the New World in the middle of winter. And when the winter was done, the Wampanoag helped them plant crops and establish themselves. And at the end of the summer, after all of the crops were harvested, they came together for a three-day harvest festival. And they shared food and festivities, and everything was right with the world. 
Until a few months later, when the colonizers decided that actually they wanted all of the bounty of the land for themselves, and they started pushing out the indigenous tribes and killing them en masse, and thus begins the great and continuing crimes of the white colonizers on the native peoples of North America. Now, Anakaona's story almost parallels this Plymouth, Massachusetts Thanksgiving only. It takes place in Haiti, 130 years before Plymouth in 1492, with the Taino tribes and the Spanish colonizers, including none other than our favorite, Christopher Columbus, and his brother Bartholomew. And spoiler alert, both Columbus brothers are douches. Before I dig any further into the story, though, I want to do something that I have never done on this podcast before. Ah! I want to issue all of you listeners a challenge, a special Thanksgiving challenge. And on this podcast, we have talked a lot, never enough, but a lot about the great crimes of colonizers of North America against the indigenous tribes. And not just by the first colonizers like Columbus and the pilgrims, but by the church who stole their land and literally they stole their children and our own governments who time and time again made treaties with the tribal nations, promising them protection and compensation for their losses, but over and over and over again, breaking those treaties and ultimately causing great suffering and even near extinction or extinction of entire tribal nations. During the height of the COVID pandemic, this I know we talked about on the podcast, many reservations were without running water and most of them had only one or two ventilators for the entire reservation. And guess, listeners, who was supposed to be supplying water and medical care for the reservations? That's right, the government, who promised that they would provide that in their treaties. So, my challenge to you this Thanksgiving is that when you go to the grocery store or bodega or farmer's market, wherever you buy your groceries, keep your receipts. Here's mine. I have mine right here and total up all that you spent on this year's Thanksgiving feast and donate that same amount to the tribal nation that originally resided on the land where you now live. I feel like I hear the, the great questions of how do I know? How do I know what tribal nations used to live on the lands I live on? And that's a great question, and I have a great resource that I am so excited to share with you. If you go pull up a browser and put in the URL native-land.ca, native-land.ca, and not only does that website tell you what tribes you... native-land.ca and there's this little box on the top left that you put your address into and not only does the website tell you which tribes resided there but it also has a page for each of those tribes and it has all the information about that tribe their official languages maps of where they live their official 
websites even. And when you click through to their official websites, you can see the donate links usually really clearly. Uh, I, I have my receipt I just showed you from grocery shopping and I looked up my address and the tribes uh, from the land I now reside on in Los Angeles are the Gabrieleno Tongva Nation and the coastal brand, the coastal band rather of the Chumash Nation. And when I go through and click through to their websites, I see the donation link right there. So depending on how organized all of your receipts are, this whole challenge might take you only five minutes. But every donation for the tribal nations has an enormous impact. And if you need another reason to donate or an excuse to donate, uh, a lot of the tribal nations are also officially nonprofits. So you can write the donation off on your taxes. So if that's something that appeals to you, go ahead and use that as your reason. So there it is. That is my challenge. I'm going to post the challenge, including the link native-land.ca on our website which is broadsyoushouldknow.com. And it's going to be on our social channels at Broads You Should Know and at BYSK Podcast if you still use Twitter. And I encourage you not only to donate yourself, but to share this challenge. Challenge your friends, your family, the people you're going to see around the Thanksgiving table. Can you imagine what an astonishing difference that we could make in these tribal nations just with our donations? And uh, yeah, no matter how much or how little, every little bit makes a difference for these folks. Okay, now let's get back to the real star of our episode. Let's talk about Anna Kaona. First off, her name, Anna Kaona, literally means golden flower in the Taino language. The word Kaona means gold. So Anna Kaona was well-known and a well-respected leader of the Taino people. Both her brother and her husband were top tribal brass. They were known as caciques, or the equivalent of chiefs. And Anakaona was well known uh, for, particularly for her poetry and her songs and her dances, which were called araitos. And she was also an artist and basically an oral historian. But she wasn't just an artist and an entertainer. When Columbus first landed in Haiti, where they lived, Anakaona was right there in the greeting party, she was negotiating with the colonizers who first arrived. And then when they came back later, a couple of years later, she was there in the primary negotiating parties. Now, Columbus and the Spanish, as you may know, had one primary goal besides their initial goal, which was trying to find the Indies, which they failed at so hard. Um, and their primary goal was to increase the wealth of the Spanish crown. And specifically, they did that through the extracting of precious metals, especially gold. And the Spanish, of course, had guns and cannons, and the Taino were not idiots. They had heard how bad things had gone with some of their neighbors and the fighting uh, of the other tribes with the Spanish, and they decided they would try to go a different route. They would try to go diplomatic with their negotiations. So they provided resources for the Spanish and they played nice. And at first, things were pretty agreeable between them all. And every time the Spanish ships would land, they were greeted by beautiful Tainos who were bearing gifts and tasty things and precious metals, which they needed so badly for the crown. The whole shebang. And for a really short time, this seemed to work and there was peace amongst them. But 
the Spanish greed grew and grew. And they established several colonies, including Santo Domingo and La Navidad. And the Spanish soldiers, uh, this is the trigger warning part of the story. Uh, so if you're sensitive to violence uh, and sexual situations, uh, this would be the time to skip forward. Um, but essentially, the Spanish began aggressively raping and kidnapping and enslaving the Tainos. And this was pretty untenable for the caciques, so the, the leaders, the chiefs of the tribes, and they're witnessing the active destruction of their population. So some of them begin to fight back. And anyone who resisted, of course, was murdered. And Anacona's husband, Kaunabo, he is accused of trying to start an uprising against La Navidad in an attempt to destroy that colony. And some sources said he may have been framed for that. Um, as I understand it, there was an attack on La Navidad and one of the Taino men who was captured named Kaunabo as the instigator. So the colonists began hunting him down. And when he was captured, he was sent to Spain, back to Spain for punishment. But he would never make it to Spain. He would mysteriously die en route. Um, and his death meant that Anacona was the new Kagike. So Anacona was as she was as smart as hell. And even though they were experiencing violence against the Taino, her, unlike her husband, she was like, no, I don't want to fight. I think we need to double down on that diplomacy. So she was extra nice and extra generous with the Spanish. And she showered them with gifts and she would have legions of beautiful dancing women when the Spanish soldiers would arrive on the beach. And she would insist on checking out their ships and she would go in and gush over their equipment. Oh, how nice your cannons are. And um, she made it her mission kind of to mingle and intermarry and close up those interracial lines the peaceful way, right? And in the meantime, while this is kind of going on, Anakaona's brother dies. Now, the sources didn't say how he died. Um, they didn't point to kind of shady business on behalf of the Spaniards. So, But who, who knows? But Anakaona ends up leading his tribe as well, his part of the tribe as well. So now she's in two different territories. And she still, though, is holding true to this kill him with kindness view. She's really trying not to fight back, even though the Spanish are still committing atrocities. The Spanish are not stopping their bullshit, but she's still trying and she wants peace. Um, she starts to set up relations between the Taino royalty and the high-ranking soldiers. And she even tries marrying her daughter to a well-bred junior officer. It sounds like they might have even been in love. Uh, but his superior officer doesn't allow the marriage. And it actually causes quite a ruckus. And a bunch of the Spanish soldiers mutiny. And the Spanish forces get divided over it. And... And I read that in the research and I'm going, oh yeah, Anacona's tactics are starting to work, right? Because the Spanish men had grown to love their partners and see them as human beings instead of animals. And a lot of them were realizing how wrong it was to enslave them, right? But the decade plus of Spanish bad behavior escalates in 1502 when a new governor is appointed, 
a true villain in history by the name of Nicholas de Ovando. Nick, I'm going to call him Nick, believes that the only way to get control is to double down on the violence against the Tainos. And he does not trust Anakaona's kindness and flattery. So he basically cooks up this plot against her. And he tells Anakaona to gather all of the important Taino leaders to a big conference of sorts. And Anakaona wants peace for her people. And she thinks, okay, maybe this new guy... Maybe we can negotiate the peace. He, he uh, Nick, under the guise of peace negotiations. And that's what she wants. So she gathers her people together and she gets about 80, I think, Taino leaders. And as per her usual gracious hosting, she arranges a massive welcome. And she puts together music and dances and lavish gifts. And... After the Taino welcome festivities are all over, Nick invites the group to just relax and enjoy this fun Spanish pastime of jousting. So Ana Kaona and the other Kakikes, who are all unarmed and mostly naked per their usual garb, they all kind of sit back and relax and watch the jousting. But it is distressing to tell you that it was a horrible trap, as I said, and Nick gives a signal and his soldiers turn on the Taino. And most of the Kakikes are ushered into a nearby building and they're tied to the posts of the building and the Spanish motherfuckers set the building on fire, killing everyone inside. The soldiers and Colonists then proceed to scour the village on horseback, running around and stabbing all of the Taino villagers who are fleeing. Now, there are some of these soldiers who were shocked and upset by all this, and they tried to help the escaping Taino escape on horseback or foot, but eventually all these escapees are caught and had their legs cut off. There were a few, I should say, that escaped to the nearby island of Guanabo, but later they were recaptured and enslaved, so really it seemed nobody escaped uh, in the end. But Anakaona was not burned in that hut. Nick wanted to make an example of her, so he brings her to Santo Domingo and he puts her on public trial. Before the trial, of course, he the surviving caciques who were not burned alive, uh, he had tortured and basically in their torturing, turned them against her, so they all named her as the instigator of trouble, even though that's the opposite of what she was trying to do. And so these confessions under torture gave Nick all of the evidence that he needed to execute her. And Anakona was hanged in a public square in 1503. There are are a couple of sources who mention that Anakaona was offered clemency in exchange for becoming a concubine, uh, but she refused, and that's why she met the noose in the public square. The origin of that part of the story, like when you're looking for the sources of where that piece of it comes from, couldn't really be substantiated uh, by the research I did at least, so that could just be a legend um, added on, you know, as the legend of Anakaona uh, grew and grew. 
But in the centuries since her death, Ana Kaona has been heralded as one of the Caribbean's most enduring heroines. Her name appears in tons of poems and songs and streets named after her and schools and statues. And Nick, ugh, Nick, what happened to that fucker? Well, believe it or not, his crimes against the Taino were so profound that even Queen Isabella from her deathbed could not stand it. And she demanded that Nick be dismissed. And eventually King Ferdinand follows through and Nick's ass is fired and he's returned to Spain. But the damage was already done. At first contact, first contact, when the Spanish landed in Haiti, the Taino population had been estimated as high as half a million. But by the time Nick left the continent in 1507, there were only 60,000 Taino left alive. And that, my friends, is the story of Ana Kaona and the horrific crimes against her and the Taino people. And that is also why I challenge you, that's right, you, to look up those native tribes who once lived on the land that you now call home and give back to them whom we, the colonizers, have taken so much. To learn more about Ana Kaona, see some artist renderings of her, quotes from this episode, and to see all of the information about the Thanksgiving challenge, head on over to broadsyoushouldknow.com. While you're there, you can click on over to the About page and read more about me, my bio, picture, links to my cool stuff is all right there. If you are not, you should follow Broads You Should Know on social. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at broadsyoushouldknow at gmail.com. If you are a fan of this podcast, if you want it to continue and you want to support us, then please help spread the word about us. Share an episode with your friends and family or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps new listeners to find us. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Skye with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you were really drawn into this story about Ana Kaona and you want to hear more amazing Indigenous Broads stories, then I highly recommend you check out a few of our previous episodes, including our episodes on Saka Goweya, Susan Harjo, the woman fighting hard to take down the inappropriate mascots, Tuiria Kaya Po, holding big oil to task in Brazil, and Pine Leaf Woman Chief. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know.